Unsee the future. The Hopi Chatty Bits. Hello and welcome to Unsee the Future. The, the Hopi Chatty Bits, the very first ever episode. I am Timo Peach and I shall be meeting artists, change makers, and solar punks who are reimagining the stories we think we're in. Why am I doing this? Why am I on this mission? Well, you know full well sausage if you've been following my work with my idiosyncratic research cast, Unsee the Future, which always has at the end of it its Hopi Changey bit. Well, I want to speak to people who are actively involved with visioning up and testing into and living out and trying out the actual new songs and stories of us. Because what story do you think you're in? I think I'm in something that's constantly trying to tell me everything's hopeless. And I was talking to the lovely First Lady of Momo today, and on the list of uh, massive problems we have on Earth at the moment, the uh, global pandemic forcing us to reimagine everything we do at work and what we want out of life seems really low on the list. So do we ever need to start thinking about new stories of us? And how do we do that? It's my contention that we have to think like more like artists and change the world with new ways of seeing. We'll get into that. So who am I having on my first ever show? Well, I could only think of one person that I most wanted to kick this off with. He is a writer, a theorist, and a consultant strategist specialising in the distributed web and world running. He's the co-founder of solarpunks.net. He's the maker of 301 Permanently Moved, very successful podcast. And he hosts Come Internet With Me, in which he live dials into the internet with guests to see what rabbit holes of search engine madness they fall down. He says, we have access to an abundance of independently created art from all over the world, and yet the kinds of movies being made and the types of stories that are getting told seem to be totally unoriginal, regurgitated or rebooted. In his key uh, article, Solarpunk Life in the Future Beyond the Rusted Chrome of Yestermorrow, he says, in order to continue to profitably mine the stable expectations of the wider cultural imagination, mainstream culture has to continually frack the past to create future material. He is a man very much after my own heart. He's a lovely chap who I can't wait to have a decent chat with you, dear viewer and listener. Together, I could only have invited the one and only Jay Springer. Hello, thank you. Welcome to the show. And, you know, you have the dubious honour of being the very first guest on the Hope of Chatty Bits. It will get better as it goes along, I'm sure. (laughs) No, it's starting on a high for me, man. And thank you (laughs) for joining me. It is nine o'clock in LA. It's midday in New York and it's five o'clock in Bournemouth. But where in the world are you? Uh, I'm in South London. So it's five o'clock here too. How convenient. Greenwich Mean Time. You're nearer Greenwich than I am. Uh, mate, it's great to have you on the show, and I have delighted. Yep, it's my pleasure. In, I've delighted in following much of your work over the last year since we first spoke. You have I quoted you in my uh, special episode thirty-one of Unsee, looking at Solar Punk. I quoted you loads before I'd met you, and then I met you, and we had a great chat. You you seem right at the heart of the Solar Punk movement. Um, I would say that I was 
at the center of the spiral of the solar punk movement when it first began um but not so much anymore more of a peripheral voice <laughs> as the as the as solar punk has continued to grow and grow and grow and you know more and more people have got involved that's, um, so you're, you're like as you've gone up the spiral farm you're you're more on the outskirts now but why do you feel that way um <clears throat> i mean it's not that i necessarily feel excluded i still i mean the just to go through the history of sort of my involvement in in solar punk i um i first found out about or heard of solar punk back in 2012 on a mailing list that was full of writers um you know creatives designers so on and so forth futurists were all, it was just a very active mailing list back when those uh when those were still a thing <laughs> okay um, yeah if you remember so that was around 2012 um and one of the people that was on that mailing list was Adam Flynn, who wrote um, the very first essay on sort of essay on solar punk, which is yeah. on the need for new futures. Um, and that's on the blog, solarpunks.net, which I later joined in 2014. Right. Um, around 2012 and 2013, at the very beginning of solar punk, the only thing really that existed of solar punk in the you know in the imaginative sphere let's say was a book called solar punk an anthology published in brazilian portuguese in brazil yes which wasn't translated into english until 20 i think the kickstarter may have been 2017 but i think it's, it was released in 2018 it's something like oh, that now now yeah. hold that thought because of course obviously <laughs> obviously, obviously I've, got a, I've got to show it on camera because there it is. There's the English language version. Yes. What yes. a classic. So that was, that was the, o the only information that we had was that there was a, a book in a trilogy of different punks, diesel punk, atom punk, and solar punk in, um, yeah, Brazilian Portuguese. And that there was a whole, whole solar punk writing scene, <laughs> and still is, that's in Brazil. And because of the dominance of the English language and the selfishness of, of that, we, we've yet to, you know, and the expensive and how expensive it is to get it translated. But there is a lot of solar punk writing out there that has yet to see, you know, English language publication. Well, yeah, I agree with that. And and if I might jump into that part of the story, it strikes me that the one of the founding texts, you might call that collection, mm -hmm. does hail from Brazil. And so much solar punk does. Uh, when I think of the imagery that comes to mind in solar punk, it, it's so Brazilian. It's a country of... of such contrast, such vastness, depth, lushness. Mm -hmm. So many things are happening there. It's got, you know, all that oil in the Campos Basin. At the same time, it's been one of the more, was one of the more progressive kind of environmental energy distributors. It's a fascinating place and I really want to go. Have you ever been to Brazil? I have not, um, but I'm um, internet friends with an author called Anna Roosh, who is a, also a solar punk author. Right. And one of the things that she continually reminds me is that in Brazil, the 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 it's not even the notion of of the favela as a setting for right. say cyberpunk novels or you know like it it's a reality in Brazil <laughs> you know like the the shanty towns and the poverty living right next door to you know very twenty first century cities yeah. is a reality and you know just like the the the, the um, 
the community spirit and and the various things that happen in those favelas, you know, especially like around appropriate technologies for rainwater harvesting and people growing things and so on and so forth. Like that has that inspiring. It's it's real rather than just a setting yes. for a for a sci-fi story. If that makes any sense. <laughs> yes, it is, and 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 very hands-on, as you say, which feels to me as I'm getting to know the idea of solar punk. It, it's so key to it. It's a testable, real world kind of thing that has an aesthetic that can't help but be a bit right to repair and, and scavenging things, but also with a nod to high tech. And the stories that come out of it tend to feel like that, which is, yeah, quite Brazilian, mm. isn't it? Not to romanticise it, but... It's um, it's interesting when you talk about the, the aesthetic, actually, because in the early days of Solarpunk, um, the aesthetic of Solarpunk as, a, as an idea, let's say, rather than, you know, now I would... would well, I've written, but I would class it as, you know, a movement in art, fashion, activism, um, yeah. and speculative fiction. It's all of those things sort of wrapped up in one. Yeah. But in the early days of Solarpunk, at right at the very beginning of that, um, right at the very beginning of the blog, when um, Adam wrote on the need for new futures, it has, there's a couple of open questions that he has at the end of the, the essay. Um, and one of them is, what is the aesthetic? <laughs> because, mm. because there, because, um, it's interesting. Like, uh, there's a Dr. Reese Williams is um, is a is a sci-fi um, scholar, let's say, um, and he wrote about how Solarpunk began as a container, and it, mm. it, it's Solarpunk is is very internet first because unlike other genres or other or other ideas that you would be familiar with, like cyberpunk or you know, there's like. Um, steampunk or even the golden age of sci-fi or the space operas yeah the idea of solar punk came first and then it's being filled in by people writing stories whereas usually it happens the other way around where you have a, a set of stories which is known as the megatext that then are grouped together to become these are cyberpunk novels does yes. that make any sense so it, so, so it the, the concept of solar punk came first before we got any stories and that's almost that an invitation and that's almost an invitation to then move yourself into the experience of creating it isn't it here's an idea yes, yeah. oh that's very much by design um solarpunk originally in those early days when we were when when the question what does the aesthetic look like feels exactly the same as the internet work sort of works even now because it was kind of born from tumblr so it was very yeah. much like an image or a text or a quote or um, a video, a permaculture video, you know, Jeff Lawton or someone like that, like one of yeah. his early internet, like the Greening the Desert video, which is sort of like the, his most famous you know, classic video. Yes. All of those things would, would be posted on the Solarpunk hashtag. Um, and I, I mean, I remember, like, I do actually have grey in my beard now, so I can say this. I, um, I, I, I probably have more than you do, but see, yeah. we both stroke our chins here and sound terribly yeah. knowledgeable. But Solarpunk's aesthetic was was some sort of mix of um, the age of sale, like tea clippers and mm -hmm. um, uh, water wheels, and um, but with bicycles and bloomers <laughs> kind of thing, <laughs> like like very much, and also appropriate technology and solar panels. Obviously, were were everywhere, and um, you know people were tracking the the price of of just how quickly the price of solar was dropping. Um, mm -hmm. You know, literally, it was like every three months in the early early 2010s, I don't think people re remember how quickly the cost of solar has dropped. 
yes or the price of solar yeah uh, but yeah so it was all of those things were, were, were going around like you know people were posting all these like beautiful 18th century paintings of tea clippers and you know so, so, you know sort of age of sale type stuff and then in 2014 two things sort of happened within a, a couple of weeks of each other the first was that um miss olivia louise who um has a tumblr post called uh, tumblr blog called masks and jewels posted a post about solarpunk where they drew together um artwork by imperial boy um who is a japanese artist um and when you google solarpunk now it's mostly imperial boy images that you'll see yes <laughs> but, yes but yeah so the, the tumblr user miss olivia louise sort of took imperial boy's work and was like this is something like solarpunk and then mm -hmm. they themselves drew a whole bunch of um uh like costume design based on um uh art nouveau kind of influences and then they just listed a whole bunch of ideas basically there's a whole paragraph that's literally just like comma art nouveau comma br bright colors earth tones um permaculture education in schools community <laughs> yeah it just goes yeah. on and on do you know yeah, what i mean yeah. which, which which again kind of feels like that invitation to to throw your ideas into the the, the container that is solarpunk I like that idea, especially because you know it's, it's almost a an a, a metaphor pun a, a pun for I don't know of thinking of container ships and how we like to containers right, for, yeah. from container ships and obviously reapportion that feels quite um, quite that way. I now I had a, a brilliant quote on my little taster video that I did for my amigos the other night of this. And uh, a mate of mine has been a really useful kind of challenge to my liberal entitled getting carried awayness. Matt uh, always comes back with economic <laughs> statistics and realities. He said, "Yeah, solar punk. Don't think it's working for you, mate. As a moniker, because cyberpunk. Well, that's been done a hundred times. Steampunk. What even is that? Solar punk. Been around fourteen years. Nobody's heard of it. But I wonder what made you so inspired by it, because." To me, it seemed to be this weirdly kind of freed idea where all these other aesthetics are kind of playful aesthetics and solar punk implies that, yet suddenly it seemed like something more permaculture. You talk about Jeff Lawton. It just feels like something you can get your hands in the soil with, try things, embody it, and then that whole culture you say about the invitation it is to write stories, this feels to me better than a new utopia. It's something more realistic and practical yet inspiring what was it that made you go i need to go deep on this i for me it was honestly the, just hearing the word solarpunk was was basically the, the i agree the everyone says that to you me know? too it was, yeah yeah it's just like it was it was almost self-explanatory yes given that we had have we have the legacy of cyberpunk and yeah. what that became as uh, and the way it has influenced the world um and the and then we move through steampunk kind of like as a it is a it is a it was a genre of sci-fi sort of beginning with a difference engine but then you know expands into its own genre yeah um and one of the questions that were you know one of the really early questions that i remember solarpunk's talking about on on tumblr is just could you imagine the impact that steampunk could have had on the world culturally if it hadn't been some sort of 
colonialist, colonialist imperial um, fantasy. If yeah. it had been committed to de- to decoloniality and in and 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 an invitation for other futures, you know, Gulf futures, Sino futures, so mm. on and so forth, from the from the eighteen hundreds, yeah. um, and alternate histories and so on and so forth. But instead, it just kind of became this strange, yeah, imperialist reenactment, alternate history reenactment genre. And even yeah. if it had only been the third of the size that steampunk ended up being, or could you imagine the influence that it would have had on the world? Yeah, I know, but it, so, but you're, it seems like um, to me it feels like a kind of a yearning for old certainties and putting a kind of playful twist. So I actually I, I enjoy it as a bit of fun as an aesthetic when I see mm-hmm. cosplayers enjoying it. Great, but yeah. and and I I absolutely plan to annex airships and take them with us into the solar punk future for lots of reasons. But uh, but yeah, it just feels like part of our great stuckness and nostalgia and that's a big theme of of what you've spoken about in the past here like some of those quotes here we're stuck Mm -hmm. in old stories of us aren't we yeah um this kind of thinking kind of comes from i i realized i didn't finish my thought from from earlier on i was talking about mr livia louise's post and the second Mm. thing that happened was adam wrote notes towards the manifesto um, solar punk right. notes towards a manifesto for the Hiriogryph uh, Hi- yes. project, um, which was Neil Stevenson's um, collaborative project with ASU's Center for Science and the Imagination right. um, at Arizona State University. And um, Neil Stevenson, obviously very famous cyberpunk author, um, and he he says that, that sci-fi or science fiction works um as um works by creating signs or hieroglyphs which people can all rally around and then work towards to, yes. to you know actually instantiate within the world either uh, either to move towards or move away from i mean there's that meme going around whatever it is like author author writes um eternal torment machine <laughs> silicon valley company says Congrat- good news we've built the eternal torment machine but, um, <laughs> Yes, but, and we're all trapped in the damn thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, but one of the things that um, that we were we were talking about, but one of the things that Adam talks about in that essay, and also in his first essay on the need for new future several several years before, is that um, we were we we're, we were stuck, or we are still stuck in some in some sense. In um, it, it's not a Fukuyama kind of like eternal end of history way but we are stuck within you know what um mark fisher calls capitalist realism um and that we're that we cannot imagine a future <laughs> yes. because you know we're, we're kind of stuck in this present and solar punk in some sense is 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 an invitation for people to start to begin uh to think about their own futures or the future in new ways yeah. um and because of the way that solar punk kind of worked and still works is that it's a it's a, a a gathering together or a drawing together of of ideas that that collectively people who are either on the reddit the facebook tumblr wherever you are you know twitter people are posting things and saying this is this solar punk you know placing it <laughs> yeah. in the container and, is it yeah is it and th- some of these things you know they're real like 
lean to greenhouses or you know appropriate technologies for capturing rainwater you know just like water butts <laughs> are pretty damn solar punk you know what i mean so um what solar punk tries to do is not so much to think about the future um in a utopian way but to gather the practical mm. solutions that exist already in the world or have previously been overlooked to and then and then as part of its world building you take all of these things that exist or have been overlooked and then you project them forwards and multiply them outwards. So what would, as a simple thought experiment, what would a British suburb look like if everyone's, everyone had chickens in their backyard as we would have had in the 1950s post-war? Yeah. You yes, know, but like just as an example. But what I like about the idea of solar punk is that whilst you might just, you know, move the chickens around by hand, you may well have some sort of sensor in there giving you live soil data to, to a more yeah. granular view. But at yeah, the same or, time... Uh, uh, face face recognition on each of the chickens. <laughs> I mean, probably, because yeah. it's it's where we can still embrace a love of tech, even though, I, you know, I, I think tech is a cult and, and horribly destructive but because it's a sort of single bandwidth thing rather than in a, a polycultural environment you talk about uh, you say you're interested in the creation of hybrid environments talk about yep. pulling people together where you say organizational design high growth scenarios basic needs cultural mm -hmm. agency etc all those different things from really what i call consciousness down to encouragement that kind of super macro to super local how do you get involved with that sort of thing yourself? How can you encourage that in the workplace, in business? How do you get involved with trying to work up those, how you put those things together? I mean, it's funny, really, because I, um, in a former life, I, I, I was worked as an operations manager at several startups, um, and specifically startups that were growing really fast. Um, right. And it's just amazing how many times groups of people go through oh we need to implement a new system <laughs> we need a new piece of software <laughs> do you know what i mean great like, yeah wonderful need, whatever it is new piece of, you know just because if you're if you go from three people to 10 people to 30 people then yeah. you know suddenly the way it was working when it was just the three founders or whatever you know everything falls falls over very quickly yeah. and one of the things that i used to stress is that when you are picking a piece of software and the way that you're the, the you're designing that piece of software to work kind of ontologically in some sense you know like whether yeah. you're going to set it out that's the hybrid environment that you're creating because you're going to live and think inside this piece of software and so is everybody else oh god just let me stop you there that that idea yeah you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna live and think inside microsoft teams yeah. Or whatever it be. And it is. It's going to be a massive part of the environment of your experience of being alive every day. I just want to mm -hmm. cry, Jay. <laughs> I just want to take a moment and cry for us all. Just on that. Anyway, yes, go on. Yeah, I mean, it's a big deal. I mean, and it shouldn't be, you know, it's it's one of the like and when you start to talk about it like this, then you can start to, you know, talk to people who are within the organization, you know, do all of that, getting people on board with the new processes and blah, blah, blah. If you stress, yeah. <laughs> if if you start to talk about things this way, rather than it being a tool that you're gonna use, it's somewhere that you're I mean, we've all been working from home during the pandemic. It's yeah. you know, as you say, Microsoft Teams is where we're gonna go for eight hours a day. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I see the effect it has on my wife. But that's a hybrid environment for me is any 
is is any techno social environment yeah basically like techno dash social dash environment where those three where where those things are all kind of in intersection Um, yes and the 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 way in which those things are created um or at least understood is through narratives about whatever it is that is going to be Mm -hmm. going on inside these these things so yeah so that's kind of how in some sense how narrative strategy works it's either you you start to begin writing narratives to understand what's inside the container of the techno social system for example or um the the techno social system in itself like the workplace or the community or 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 whoever it is that are are working together they themselves generate their own kind of narrative coming upwards and do you sort of create I mean, quite creative experiences to help them get inside that sense of story and change the story they think they're in. Do you, how do you sort of um, personally in my work? I don't. No, I, so personally, there's a there's a re- really you have to get them on the show. Have you heard of Commando Yugdasil? No, I want to say yes and just sound clever, but no, I'm not I'll, like um, I will, you're gonna have to you have to speak to them because those guys, they go, those guys are great. They work with narrative and communities, and you know, at the moment they're doing a lot of work with community veg gardens and okay. producing sci-fi stories. The community themselves, who are working on the project, are writing their own short short sci-fi stories. Right, I've got it. so write that down. Community veg garden <laughs> science fiction LARPing experiences. They're they're booked. They're just booked now. Yep. I've got people on it. Well, I mean, this is that you say you talk about LARPing, but I've said this before about solar punk several times. Is that you can't LARP being a solar punk because being a solar punk is going out and planting a garden. <laughs> yes, it's not <laughs> it's not role play. But but then but then, amen and yes, and you just blew my mind. And at the same time, if we're all in a story, then everything's role play, isn't it? And so well, trying to exactly. change the story you're in is moving your body into different what if things. So so yes, uh we may maybe Well, instead cos- of cosplaying a role, maybe you are an actor, you know, oh. to use political language. You become yeah. an actor. And indeed, and that is of course a short step in the word activist, and that is a big part of solar punk in a sense, isn't it? This sort of mm-hmm. But often super local. I think one of the articles that you've been quoted in from a few years ago, and the person says this sort of delight and mystification in their, maybe even their stand first. So I'm talking to Jay Springett about solar punk, and he immediately comes back and starts talking about putting seed trays into old phone boxes. Yes. Yep. I mean, yeah, because that's completely hands-on making up, try, trying to reapportion things in a more intersectional way, as well as a more right to repair empowered way so solar punk's distributed isn't it naturally because mm-hmm. it's a decentralized concept as we're talking yeah. about i mean how speaking of decentralization though we should also mention that the solar and solar punk is not not just kind of like a bright future but it it, it is also like grounded in the the technological shift that is occurring with mm. the move to renewables whether it be solar you know solar panels or whether it's um you know all the, all the different forms of green en- energy, yeah. you know, um, turbines and so on and so forth. But the thing is, it's not just it. Like there's two forms of power, right? There is both t- like electrical power that we can talk about, and we can also talk about power 
in the I don't know the Foucault sense of power and yeah. who who has it and and who and who gets to use it on others, and a move to a distributed grid, which is what renewables promise, yeah. means that it also is a a crowbar, let's say, or a useful uh, fulcrum to begin to think about the redistribution of power, um, you know, in society. Because, mm -hmm. like, if you if you start to look at the kind of the politics of inf infrastructure, which was a kind of political thing that I was very interested in before I heard about solarpunk, for my sins I coined the term stacktivism. You did. In, I should I have did. quoted that because it is an excellent yeah. phrase. You know, as in like the study of the stack or the accidental megastructure, which is the yeah you know planetary scale infrastructure, and then the activism part is obviously the um, the inquiry or at least the 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 active inquiry about it rather than just yeah. critique. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and and like one of the thing, like one of the very early solarpunk stories that everyone agreed upon, like a real life solarpunk story, was Spain's attempts to ban rooftop solar off grid. Right. Because they, because it was a political question, and it was you know all went all the way through into the courts. Because it was if you can live off grid, then you are less dependent on the state. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know yeah. when you when you when you put it that way. So um, yeah, so 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 it's also important to, to to think about that. Like Solarpunk does have this like inquiry into distributed infrastructure. Mm. Um, kind of baked that, in <laughs> that's it yeah it, and it does and again all the intersectionality of that the idea that you are at once thinking as somebody agent and if you're agent and even just testifying you are questioning the status quo uh in a way but also you're thinking about te then testing things and trying things mm -hmm. but also it's an emotional and aesthetic response all at once that's what yes. i feel solar punk unlocked in me as an imagination exploder and it's so sort of quiet but but endless and realistic seeming to me how much do you well think i mean adam adam flynn's um not adam flynn it's andrew dana hudson's like a pithy phrase from his essay in 2015 is um solar uh, motto is to move quietly and plant things that's it i love that phrase yeah <laughs> it's, it's wonderful but then again you yeah. know there'll be lots of people whenever you come up against great big machines and scale and all the, you know, this is the imagery that uh, James Cameron gave us cheesily, but obviously on Pandora, these great big machines eating trees and then these delicate but strong creatures moving amongst the... There is something uh, something about that sort of avatar view as well. It can seem a bit silly and, well, you go and sit on your farm then and sit off-grid and... And and you can live in a fantasy world. But why do you? How do you feel about this now? Some years in, and the work you're doing now, as well as the stories of solar punk. How do you feel about the way this is unfolding at the moment, and sense of empowerment for you or for people that you know in all this? Mm, that's a really that's a really good question. I mean, first of all, just thinking about like the the James Cameron kind of. It's also in you know also gets thrown at solar punk as a, as a genre as well yeah you know, just it does like that. and i mean uh i don't know if you've read sand talk by tyson Junker porter it's one of the most no. important books i've read recently but in, okay. in that book um uh, he's an aboriginal um scholar from australia um and his book is really fantastic really recommend it but in that book he says uh, a, a crude a, a crude metaphor is a curse or a bad metaphor is a curse so that kind of <laughs> and I, and I kind of think that um 
Uh, I kind of think that like the James Cameron movie is a curse rather than. A- <laughs> I, I thought I thought you might, um, but yeah. also, but it but it, it illustrates uh, the sort of futility that then does get thrown at at you daring to yeah. sort of say something that's quiet or the idea that you know all is one, all is love, and yet the idea, um, whether helped by psychedelics or spirituality or, or just common sense that all is one everything's connected and what's the point actually in building big machines to smash things there's that sense of something almost spiritual going on under this but it's driven by logic and observation and individual sort of letting go of the old lies in a way isn't it i'm getting poetic yeah to to some to some respect i think that there um rob cameron who is a writer um from new york he he he's actually written quite a lot of critique of solar punk as a genre, contrasting it to Afrofuturism, which is the genre that he writes yes. in. Yeah. Um, talking about the lack of spirituality and spiritual engagement in solar punk stories. Interesting. On the whole. Um, which is a valid, very valid critique. I mm. personally think that the it is perhaps more about the it says more about the editors um, of of certain you know of, of the sensibilities of editors um, than it does about the people who are writing solar punk. Because if you were to write a spiritual solar punk story, do you really think does anyone think that they're going to get it published? And the answer is no. I don't oh, that, think they would. that's interesting. Well, and that I hadn't thought about that because to me the idea of something beyond uh, and and indigenous views that carry these things with us. So hence Afrofuturism, of course, has that baked into the soil of it. As I would say, an awful lot, depending on who's writing it, of Brazilian writing would, whether it's, uh, you know, what, you're in the asphalt. It's ironic, or, or, really. The, it is ironic because I think it implies, yeah. you know, a lot of spirituality. So that's interesting. You're saying actually culturally, in a way, solar punk's still a little bit wedded to the tech verse. The solar, the I mean, the first manifesto that I ever wrote, written by a solar punk, was called is by solar punk witchcraft. So you know, oh, like it are. is there, <laughs> it is there. It's just, it, it, yeah, we're just in, we're just in a funny uh, position. Yeah, I've just had a, a message solar from punk equivalent. Uh, yeah, is there a solar punk equivalent? Says Andy Robinson uh, of the the goggles and top hat dress code. All good movements need an outfit. Well, I, yeah, what would you say to that? Because I can picture something. I, I mean, it's yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Like, there's people who are inspired by solar punk fashion goes in kind of two ways. But solar punk fashion is either the kind of creation of reused and recycled uh, materials, you know, like yeah. upcycled clothing. And uh, I don't know if you know about the red thread movement. That was very popular in the solar punk kind of. Yes, if you're going to repair, if you're going to repair a hole in your shirt or in a jumper, uh, regardless of what color it is, you use a red thread to show that it's been repaired which is no, an unusual I, I, thing that happens in i love the idea of that it seems very activist and student and obviously i'm not going to do that for more than like one thing and i'll wear that <laughs> one thing to to the rally obviously yeah yeah i mean well i mean if like the whole world's going to shit so we're gonna we're gonna have to <laughs> we're not gonna be able to afford to buy new clothes anyway <laughs> yeah, I, yeah actually sewing is something i've never learned to do you used to look uh, it's well worth myself, it but... i uh i did that thing where you don't buy any new clothes for a year and that definitely taught me how to how to sew properly yes i i think it would be quite empowering like the promise i've made to myself to finally learn music theory a bit better than i know it uh i'm sure i'll get around to that and speaking french and learning to code these are all things i will definitely do when the the machine collapses uh i would say before we get to um our our last little segment to bring it right down to a personal level i find Mm -hmm. it interesting for you as somebody who 
is is a very uh, a complex thinker in many ways, although you reduce things beautifully to understandable simplicity and storytelling, all the different things you hold in tension, all the things you do, you've been saying you struggle with the basic creative problem of procrastination and of how to get things done because maybe your brain is in so many places at once. It doesn't seem that way from the outside, but how are you coping with that at the moment? Um, yeah, I mean, was it was it just it was just before the new year that I wrote this, right? Or was it like yeah, yeah, you were struggling into it. the new year. The That's three it. Months, anyway. I'm going to get really yeah. productive now. You said yeah, and that hasn't happened at all. Um, one of the things that I find personally is that I respond very well to rhythm Ooh. in rather than structure. <laughs> I respond respond very well to rhythm. Um, so. I know that I have to start working on my podcast every Thursday and then it's got to go out on the, on the, you know, goes out on the Saturday and so on and so forth. And those are like the rhythms that happen within my life. And one yeah. of the things that I, I do is, you know, is just to make sure that I have, I mean, it sounds like a structure. I'm doing certain things in certain days, but yeah. yeah. Like, and the, I, I always get to this point where, where everything's moving along the beat, everything's beating along. And then you're like, Oh, I want to do something else. And then you, you you put the new thing in to work on the new project and then everything falls apart and the rhythm just falls apart. <laughs> yes, I like that idea. You need a conductor. You do. Well, we all need a conductor. I think that's called yeah, a PA exactly. or just yeah. or just a really shouty client helps me get yeah. things done. But yeah, there's, same. I, you were talking about the principle of the of the pinhole and I wonder whether mm. that's how we stay sane and, and progressive in a practical sense. Uh, we, we've got to kind of do this impossible thing of, of, of regularly zooming out and getting a global picture. And then is it is it dialing into something super local, staying in the pinhole in order to actually mm. make progress right where we are and own it, but with a sense of, you know, great context? I think it is something like that. Um, one of the things that I think is important about Solarpunk um, for people that encounter Solarpunk, because as we've been saying, it's it's an invitation for people to think about, you know, what, um, think about the future themselves yeah. is that if if you are introduced to you know the ideas of permaculture or regenerative agriculture or you know any of those simple ideas or david holgram's retro suburbia book which is yeah. you know, just full of really great ideas for um you know doing the retrofitting of suburbs and so on and so forth is that mm. is that sites not only become a, a um sites become, are, are, are a place of possibility but they're not, it's not just narrative possibility. It's also actual possibility. You know, that unused scrubland out the back of Tesco's is a site for the narrative of we should put a food forest there, community food yeah. forest. Yeah. And then, but it's also full of the potential to actually do that thing. Or, you know, you walk past somewhere else and you think, oh, you know, they could fix that with a swale. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course flood. they could. Fix that, yeah, fix that flood with a dam on contour, you know. And then, so it's both narrative possibility, but also actual possibility. And that's kind of what, what I mean, I've called Solarpunk a mimetic engine. So, so mm. the, the point is, is that the, that your, your interaction with the engine or the mimetic engine of Solarpunk is that it gives more ideas back than you, than you put into it. That's amazing, which is the most regenerative idea you know, that's regeneration, full stop, G giving yeah. more, harvesting more than you, oh no, giving more than you take out. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. A, a, the, a generous mimetic engine is, is, is what we should be aiming to create when we're talking about futures.
not just solar punk but in you know what other mimetic engines can we can we start to to share with one another mm. and implied in that too is a sense of honoring things that as you start looking around at the possibility you know it honors place it honors individual and that's where the power really is of individuals living mm-hmm. in places owning yep. them and going we but we could do this and doesn't it show how we do indeed all live in a story because when you when you start living out the story cosplaying it practicing into it it becomes real yep and so where yeah was- well i mean this is this is one of the things like solar punk's aesthetics now when you have a look the aesthetics of solar punk arise from praxis Yes. So, so like you know, people who are doing the things are creating things that look solar punk. So, yeah. if you do the same things too, then you know that's why the aesthetics look a certain way. Well, true, and I've always said that if we were to beam forward a thousand years and we finally cracked the basics of how to manipulate gravity and we're flying around in actual spaceships and we're a multi-world species, you bet your ass we will all be driving Falcons and Liberators and Enterprises because we've already taught ourselves that that's what we want. And sure yeah. enough, you know the. Falcon Heavy. It looks like a 50s mm-hmm. B-movie rocket. Yeah, it uh, does. So we're yeah. just fulfilling our own, what we were yep. teaching ourselves the future now in lots of ways that I'm sure will be hanging around for centuries. What's the, uh, uh, there's both the term hyperstitions, but there's also, uh, who's the the guy that writes about drama where he talks about where you're kind of like that sympathetic ma- magic of um of acting something out on stage to, for it to become real in real life. I can't oh, remember. No, but that sympathetic magic is, that's what Gerard? we're trying to Is it? I can't we remember. Can, we can do a search. We can go internet <laughs> yeah. together and, and yeah, do a search. Should. But I think sympathetic yeah. magic is definitely the sort of thing we're trying to encourage here. So, I mean, I'd love to chat to you for another couple of hours, but uh, people in LA have got to finish their breakfast and get on with productive exactly. days. Go uh, for a run along the uh, along the seafront. Along the seafront, obviously, surely. And I'm going <laughs> to have to do that yeah. in Bournemouth. But the last piece that I'd like to ask you is uh, a, little, um, a little segment. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to ask you, I'll insert a jingle here properly. I'll brand it up properly, won't I? Uh, but I'd like to ask you what you would like to leave for future generations as your ancestral artifact? I was thinking about this after you emailed me recently. And I think I would probably, uh, no, I, I won't say it, but I think if I was to leave something in an ancestral vault for the future, it would be my family prayer. Mm. That my parents taught me and is the one they taught me is very similar to the one that they were taught and so on and so forth. Um, Mainly, not that I don't think that there will be prayer in the future. It's mainly that um, it is a recognition of where these uh, where these things come from and where they are going. You know, like um, the the act of um, prayer, let's say, for for want of a better word, is fundamental to the human experience, and we've been doing it for you know for probably as long as we've been human. Um, in some sense, and that was is why I would like to leave my one in the in the vault for the future for people to to rediscover in some sense the way you know. But yeah, that's what I would leave him. Have you got the prayer? The Have you got it there that you can share it with? No, us? I'm not. I'm not going to read ah, it. <laughs> I was see. Okay, maybe it's personal. Well, I was thinking. Oh, this is a great yeah. way to segue out of the show. You'll leave a point. Yeah. Prayer and, poem, and, yeah. and I'll say thanks, Jay. Spring it and punch straight out to the end jingles, and that would have been poetic, mate. So, yeah. instead, <laughs> no, but, 
<laughs> I like the idea of that though, and I, I, again, there's the implicit spirituality. Um, and I will just, in that which case, I'll bring in Peter John Cooper. Hey, Peter, this is really engaging. He says, any uh, perspective on the long now? Well, I think this is all a long now. But have you got a comment on that before we leave? Uh, big fans of long now. I know quite a lot of the early um, solar punk contributors who are all based in on the west coast used to go to the long now talks quite a lot. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I know the, the the editor of Long Now Foundation in the states actually, and I'm a really big fan of the way they've been thinking. They've been doing a lot of, they've been doing a lot important work for a long time. <laughs> yes, you know it's I mean? kind of their thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think that uh, we would definitely be in a worse off position in 2022 if they hadn't been doing their their been doing the work for for 40 years or however long they've been around. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. There's, there's something sort of monastic in it, isn't there? Holding space. That That's what monasteries and nunneries were for centuries in their eyes. It was holding spiritual space, praying for the world and being the sort of engine of spirituality for the <laughs> world. Uh, that was the view of people then. And in a way, this is, this is, you know, their prayers over us, if you want to use that language, has been the work they've been doing of trying to think about a completely different scale of yep. uh, understanding how we live and at the same time you and i've got to come back to the pinhole and just say i live here now in mm-hmm. this moment and as of now the world hasn't blown up my world is still here my legs still work my brain still works yep and the spring seeds have got to be done this weekend <laughs> and i think that's our punchline yeah. out uh yeah. jay thank you so much jay spring it's no, been marvelous you. to have you on uh, on the show and as our first ever guest Uh, Ciao for now, man, and thank you ever so much. Cheers. Thanks. Unsee the future. And for the next uh, now nine weeks, there will be further guests joining me on the show, exploring different themes that are quite solar punk in nature, but also just part of that regenerative longer now that's also living in the now. The long now living in the now. There's something in that. It's a bit contrived, but I can do something. We can just write it down. We can do something with that. Hey, Sausage, thank you for following me today and for joining Jay and I in our first chat together. Could have talked to him for hours. Do check out thejmo.net. Links are below to all his stuff. Well worth reading his articles, catching up on his shows and a lot of the things that he's thought and shared. And I have no doubt he and I will be talking again soon. Join me next week. It will be going out at uh, 1700 GMT, same time with my next guest. And follow me at uh, unseethefuture.com where you can find also links to the book that I'm writing every week and follow me as an amigo. So ciao for now. And um, I also I also need to come up with a like a line, a thing for leaving this. It's a new format. I haven't got this. Anyway, never mind. Discover more links and video and reading on the blog of this post at unseethefuture.com. And be the first to get the future in your inbox. Subscribe to the Momo Memos at unseethefuture.com forward slash amigos. Listen, read, ponder and share. Do. Unsee the Future is a Momo Tempo production. Obviously.